Good morning, church. It's good to see you and be with you. Uh, we, uh, we come and we, we continue through the Gospel of Luke uh, today, and we've really seen kind of a, this, there's a series here of three stories that are the same, uh, the same in Mark, the same kind of sequence happens, uh, the story of the, the wind and the waves, right? Jesus is, is in the storm, he speaks to the winds and waves, and they calm, like they listen to him. Then the story of the, the demoniac, right? Possessed by thousands of demons, Jesus casts them out into the pigs, they run into the sea, right? Uh, so Jesus is Lord of the storms, he's Lord of the demons, and today, I think we see in really dramatic fashion that Jesus is Lord of, of disease and, and even of death uh, by these, these kind of two intertwined uh, stories. And so we're going to see today uh, three things, desperation, we're going to see faith, and then we're going to see the healer. Desperation, faith, and the healer. Let's pray, and we'll, we'll jump in. Father, uh, th- thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for bringing us here today. Uh, would, you, would you open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us? Lord, I don't know what, what each person in here needs, um, but, but you do. You know each of us, you know each of our hearts, um, you know what, what we need, and you know the, the barriers and, and the stories and the lies that we put up in front of, of uh, those places to, to keep you away from them, to push you away, to not listen to what you would have to say to us. And so would you just break those down by your spirit? Would we, would we really be open to you, open to, to hearing what you have to say uh, and, and, uh, and hearing your voice to, to each of us this morning through your word? Um, we ask this, that you do this in, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. First, we see desperation, desperation. Jesus returns across the Sea of Galilee. There's a crowd waiting for him. He's very famous. Uh, this is his ministry is in full swing here. And uh, just then, a man named Jairus came. Uh, we, we learn about Jairus. This is the first man we meet in the story. Uh, he's, a, he's a respected member of the community. He's a leader of the synagogue. He would have organized the worship service for, uh, for the synagogue. So a very, uh, you know, respectable uh, a man, uh, and, and he comes, but he doesn't come as a respectful man. He comes as a desperate father, and he falls down to plead for his daughter. We learn that he has, he has one daughter. It's his only daughter, and she's 12 years old, um, and she's dying. She's dying. She's on her deathbed. And, and is there any desperation like the desperation of a parent for an ailing child? I think of, of the nurses in our church who work at, you know, uh, Texas Children's, and they, they, see, they see this every day, right? This desperation, my child is suffering. Please help. And this is Jairus. He comes uh, to Jesus, and he pleads with him to come and, and to heal his daughter. He begins to go uh, with Jairus, and we meet the second character in, in this story, uh, in this narrative, and it's in verse 43, a woman. We, we learn a woman comes to him, uh, and uh, she, she has an a illness. She has a condition. Right? She has, she's bleeding. She's been bleeding for 12 years, some kind of internal uh, hemorrhaging uh, condition. Right, this this uh, uh, this woman. Um, it says she's been bleeding for twelve years. Um, th- this condition would have been been more than just a physical condition. Obviously, it would have been. A, it's a it's a horrible physical condition. And in a time before uh, modern uh, hygienic products, in a time before uh, m- you know modern germ theory and things we know, this would have been a, a, a you know a hor- You can just imagine how terrible this this woman's physical condition would have been. Feeling bad and having to deal. 
with, uh, with it every single day. Um, but it wasn't just physical. Um, it also would have been religious, right? Religious and, and social uh, because uh, a bleeding woman is, is, according to the law of Moses, uh, unclean, right? An unclean person, someone who... Uh, who can't participate in community life, someone who can't uh, touch others, can't hug others, can't sit on someone's couch, or that becomes unclean. Um, and so th- this woman would have been really isolated and kind of an outcast socially because of this condition that she had. Right? Uh, on top of that, uh, it says that doctors, it says uh, she'd spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any. Mark actually says it more explicitly, perhaps because Luke was a doctor. Mark says uh, she spent all she had on doctors and they did not help. In fact, it only got worse. Doctors made it worse. So not only is it physical, not only is it religious and social, but, but there's a, a, a financial element, right? She spent all she had. She's poor. She doesn't have anything left to spend. She can't go to the doctor anymore. She has no money. Nothing has helped. And she comes desperate, desperate to Jesus. And just notice the comparison of these two people, right? Jairus, this respected man in the community. This woman, an outcast. And they both come with desperation to Jesus. And and notice, and I think we see in this whole passage, Jesus' compassion toward both of them, right? He's compassionate toward all types of people. He shows Compassion. Second, I think we see faith. Faith. Um, uh, it, it says that, that while they were going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. Okay, it's a very, it's a very, uh, uh, you know, explicit word. It's, it's, it's like they're they're pressing, they're crushing, they're crunching him together. I don't know if you've ever been overseas where. Uh, where public transport is is more uh, more often used, I think in tech you know in Texas we have uh, personal space, and not only that we have like our f three fifties that we drive on the highway down to work you know all by ourselves it 's like these huge vehicles, and we keep everyone away from us um, i i don't i 'm not bashing you if you have an f three fifty in fact i want one i 'm just jealous that 's the real thing uh, but uh, but we have you know personal space it 's something well if you um, if you've ever been uh, been overseas or somewhere where there's there's uh, public transport, uh, I, I remember standing in front of, at a bus stop and a bus pulls up and the doors open and I think, oh, it's full, you can't get in. Au contraire, right? No, everyone, whoever's there can get in and they get on. My son actually told me, that he reads these books called Weird But True. He has all these weird facts. He was like, actually, dad, in Japan, they have these, these people called pushers that they pay to push people into buses so that they can close the doors. And get, I thought, That's a really good fact. I'll use that in my sermon. Um, so this is the, the image that I have, right, of being crushed, being crunched, just, you know, just standing there and you can barely even move. Uh, and then the woman comes through this crush, right? And she reaches out and she touches his garment. She touches the edge of his, his garment. This would have been probably the, the tassels. Actually, the, there, there was little tassels on this garment that Jewish men would wear across their left shoulder. Uh, that, and these tassels were according to the law, right? They symbolized, they were, they were told to wear them. Um, 
They symbolized purity. They symbolized uh, allegiance to and loyalty to God's law. And so the woman touches Jesus. She shouldn't be touching. She shouldn't be in the crowd, right? She shouldn't be touching everyone who she's touching as she's trying to wake her way through. Um, and she shouldn't be touching him because she would make all these people unclean. She'd make him unclean. And she touches Jesus. She touches his cloak right at the part, right at the, on the tassel that symbolizes his purity. And, and, and I, love, I love this image because this woman is, she, she, she uh, pushes past every, every appropriate convention, right? She shouldn't be there. She shouldn't be around these, she shouldn't be in this crowd. She's an outcast, uh, but, but she doesn't care. She's desperate she, and she knows that Jesus can help her. And so she pushes past convention and she just reaches out with all she has for Jesus, and we see this over and over through the healing stories. Rather than Jesus becoming unclean, right, when the, the unclean touches the clean, rather than defiling him, what happens? She is healed. Right? It says immediately, she, her bleeding stopped. She, she's healed. She knows it. She knows she is. And Jesus says, right, in that moment, he, he says, who touched me? Right? And, and, and Peter, of course, uh, says, Master, the crowds are hemming you in. They're pressing. You're, like, you're on the bus and there's 14 people touching you at this moment. Uh, well, everyone's touching you. What do you mean, who touched me? He says, no, I know someone touched me. Power went out of me. Now, does Jesus not know who touched him, really? I think he does. Right? When, when God asks questions in scripture, it's always good to pay attention to them, right? Because they're usually, it's not because he doesn't know. Uh, I think Jesus does know this woman. I think he does know her situation. Um, so why does he call her out? Why, does it, why, is he, why doesn't he just let her touch him and, and be healed and just get away? Right? Not, not, not embarrass her, not get her out in front of people. What's he doing? Well, I, I think a couple of things. One, he's restoring her to community, right? She's been an outcast. Everyone, know, everyone would have known this. She, she's been, uh, she hasn't been accepted. She hasn't been brought into uh, community life. And so she needs to be restored publicly. She needs to be shown, yes, you're healed, you're well. Right? You can come back in. He's restoring her publicly. And, and he, he, so he calls her out and she, she saw, she's discovered. She came trembling and she says, she tells it all. This healing has, has made her bold. She has a testimony to share. She doesn't hide it. She doesn't try to make excuses she just says, here's why I came, here's how it happened, and I'm better. And I think, I think, so I think Jesus is calling her out to restore her to the community. I think the second thing is that he's bringing her into relationship. There was something almost superstitious about this woman's faith, right? She, she, uh, she thought, if I can get in there and just touch his clothes, and then I could sneak out unnoticed, be healed, Right, it's, it's a sort of a superstitious, uh, superstitious faith. It's not a, a, I mean, we don't know exactly what she was thinking. Um, but I think Jesus is, is bringing her out and, and calling her out, bringing her into a relationship. And I think you see that in how he addresses her. Verse 48, daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you, go in peace. This is the only place in scripture that Jesus uses, addresses someone with that word, daughter. Close familial language. Restoring her to the community, restoring her to the people of God. You're, you're in the family, daughter. He said, your faith has saved you. Right now, I don't think that means like she had so much faith that she, you know, that's what saved. No, I, th- I think it's saying, uh, he's saying, you trusted me. 
I like how uh, Eugene Peterson uh, translates it in the message. Uh, He says, daughter, you took a risk trusting me, and now you're healed. You took a risk trusting me. You reached out, you came, and you reached out, you believed, and now you're well. Go in peace. He, he, he won't let her stay in superstition, right? He doesn't want her to think it was just the magic of his clothes. No, 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 it was him, right? He, you trusted in me. And now you're healed. I think sometimes we, we put stipulations on when people can come to Jesus. Like they need to have the right theology and they need to do the, have the, all the right practices and they need to get everything and dot their T's dot their I's, cross their T's, uh, and, you know, before they can come. And, and I think, man, you see here, uh, any, anyone who wants to come to Jesus, they can just come, right? He'll straighten us all out. Right? Don't we all come with, with misguided notions? Of course we do. Right, Jesus will straighten us out, right? He will, he will help us. Right? But, but you can come to him. You can reach out. You can ask. You can trust him. So this woman is healed, I think an interesting part of this story is, is the timing of it all. Timing of it all. Because you could, you could ask the question, man, why not? She suffered for 12 years. As long as, as Jairus' daughter was alive, this woman was suffering, was bleeding. Why did she have to suffer that long? Why wasn't it six years? Why wasn't it three years? Why wasn't it six months? Why, why didn't God heal her way earlier? He could have. And we don't know the answers to those questions. There's a lot we don't know. But I think we can take, we can take heart from the fact that Jesus did heal her. And so just because you, you, something, something is wrong and, and you haven't been healed, you haven't been saved, you haven't been rescued, it hasn't been resolved, that doesn't mean that God's not working, it doesn't mean there's not a plan. It doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue and reach out to Jesus. We have to trust his timing as hard as that can be. As he's speaking, uh, we get some bad news. While he was speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. And then we're kind of, we're kind of brought back to, the, to remember, oh yeah, they were going to Jairus' house. They were going to heal his daughter. And you can put yourself in Jairus' situation, right? You come to Jesus, you plead. He starts going. I, I love that it doesn't even, Jesus doesn't even respond and say, I will go. That's just like, let's move, right? We'll just start moving toward your house. And so they're going. And, and then Jesus says, who touched me? It stops. And then the, this woman comes up and they have this interaction and, and Jesus, you know, she's healed and he's speaking to her. And you can just imagine Jairus' frame of mind. I, I, just, I mean, maybe, maybe he was just more holy than me, but could, wouldn't it have been like, okay, great, let's keep moving. Uh, let's, can we come back later and have this conversation? Could we heal later like someone else? Like, let's, let, my daughter is dying. She needs help. And while this interruption is happening, the news comes your daughter's died. And how it must have crushed, crushed him. Before he can even answer, though, before he says anything, Jesus hears it and, and says to Jairus, don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid, only believe, and she'll be saved. He says, trust me. Trust me even in this. And maybe you feel like Jairus. Maybe you feel like you see God working. You see him working in other people's lives. You see him working all around the world. You see him working in your friends and your neighbors and your family. But that one thing that you really care about is just not changing. He hasn't fixed it. And you think, why is he doing all this other stuff and not, not this, the thing that I care about? And maybe, maybe you need to hear from Jesus, don't be afraid, only believe. You can trust him. You can trust his will, you can trust his way, you can trust his timing. Jairus and the woman, they both come in desperation and they both come with faith, right? They have enough faith to reach out and ask. They, they have enough faith to come. Their desperation leads them to Jesus, right? To cry out to the one who can help them. And they do. And he answers. And lastly, we see the healer, the healer. He gets to Jairus' house, right? Jairus does believe, right? They keep moving. Uh, they, they, go, they get to his house. There's mourners. There's professional, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, professional mourners who would wail and cry and kind of give cover to the, the family weeping. Um, they're already there. They're, they're preparing to, to bury and, and preparing for the grieving process. Um, and, and Jesus says, stop crying. She's not dead. She's just asleep. They laugh at him because everyone knows, he's, knows that she's dead. And why does he say that? Why does Jesus say that? Does he really think that she's just asleep? Does she not know? Does he not know that she's dead? Is he lying? No, I don't think so. Jesus puts everyone out. He, he says he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. He wants to keep this one quiet. Uh, if possible, we see that even at the end. And he gets in the room, and it's, it's the most simple, it's, it's just the most simple description. All right, verse 54, he took her by the hand, he touched her, right? Which, by the way, in Jewish law, right, what would make you unclean? A bleeding woman and a corpse. Those are two of the biggest things. And we see Jesus touch, right? She, the woman touches Jesus, he touches the corpse, takes her by the hand and called out, child, get up. He uses simple language, the language of a parent waking a child out of sleep. Sweetie, wake up. It's morning. And her eyelids flicker open and her lungs fill with air. And she gets up immediately. She's well. He gives orders She's going to need a snack. <laughs> I love that. Like, he's just so practical. He's just like, yeah, she, it's, it's rough dying. She's going to need a snack pretty quickly here. Uh, get her a fruit snack right now. Um, and uh, and I, I love that. I love the care. But, but he, he, we see, I think the reason why he says she's just sleeping, 
And the reason why he goes in so simply, takes her by the hand, wakes her up, is I think he's showing that it's, it's, it's as easy for Jesus to pull someone out of death as it is for us to wake someone from sleep. He's the Lord. He's the Lord of death. Right? We see death as the end. The messengers, when they came, they said, your daughter's dead. Right? We, we do the same thing. It's like we have treatments for cancer. We have treatments for disease. We have treatment, treatments for all kinds of sickness, for even in a coma. We have CPR. We have, right? we have treatments. But once someone's dead, there's no treatment for that. But that doesn't stop the Lord of life. And Jesus takes her by the hand and pulls her even from death. Now, I, I think these miracles, these wonders, these signs, that they, that's what they are. They're signs. Right? They point us to another world. They point us to another reality. These were not eternal signs. Like, like these, this, this girl, um, she's not still alive. She grew up and died. Right? This woman, she, she's not still alive. She was healed, but, but then she got old and she got sick and, and died. But these signs point us to the future. They point us to another, they're hints of another world. Right, a world where there will be no more disease, a world where there will be no death, death will be no more, a world described in Revelation 21. Right, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. I'm making everything new. Jesus promises that he will make everything new. This is what the apostles call the restoration of all things, the time of the restoration of all things. When Jesus unites all things in him, when he returns. In, in, uh, in the Lord of the Rings, at the end of Return of the King, after, uh, after Frodo and Sam, the hobbits, have taken uh, the ring to Mount Doom, after they've been miraculously rescued, uh, and and uh, and when, whenever the the hobbits are waking up, and Sam, uh, Frodo's best friend, is waking up, and when as he wakes up, he hears a voice, uh, and the voice is from Gandalf, someone who he, uh, the wizard who th- he thought was dead, right? And here's what he says: Here's what it says. Well, Master Samwise, how do you feel? Sam lay back and stared with an open mouth, and for a moment, between bewilderment and great joy, he could not answer. At last, he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? Tolkien is writing, right, (laughs) describing the Christian hope, right, that when Jesus returns, when he makes everything new, everything sad will come untrue. It's amazing, and it's wonderful. And I think critics of, of, of Christianity um, might say, man, that's, that's a convenient fantasy that you have. 
It's a, it's a convenient fantasy, right? It's, 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 it's you know, nice, yeah, I get suffering and the world's hard and so you have to come up with some hope of a future, utopian future where everything will be okay and that gives you the emotional you know, support that you need to, to live in your life. And I get that, some people need that, but uh, you know, we've, we've evolved past that, whatever. And I think that's a, that's a, a good critique I think we see that in other religions, don't we? We see a paradise in Islam. You see a reincarnation. You see being absorbed into the also. Like there, there are these utopian visions, these utopian hopes, the light, you know, something after death. So is it all just a convenient fantasy? I don't think so. I don't think so. And the reason why is because there's a man who walked the earth 2,000 years ago. And he, he told the wind and the waves to be quiet and they listened. He cast demons out and they fled. He, he healed disease with a word, with a touch. And, and even, he even pulled people out of death as out of sleep. And this man went to, was executed. He went to the cross. He died in your place and mine. And then he rose from the dead. He came back to life. And he's alive today. Jairus lost his only daughter to be, and then was reunited with her in resurrection. Why did Jesus let that happen? Why, why didn't he just heal her with a word from distance? He could do that. Why did he let her die? I think he's foreshadowing his own death. Right? The father who would lose his only son to death and then be reunited in resurrection. This is what Jesus has done and this is why it's not a convenient fantasy. Right? We, we, we've seen it. Someone has come back from death. He's alive today. That's our hope, right? It's not, it's not, we're, not just, we're not just basing it on, it's not blind faith. No, no, no. It's faith in the resurrection which we have credible witnesses of. And so we rejoice and we look to the future and we hope and we put our hope in Jesus. He's our only hope. Right? What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but we belong to God. Won't, won't, you, won't you take a risk trusting him? Maybe you're in here, you don't trust Jesus. Won't you take, take a risk trusting him? It's, you're, you're taking a risk either way. Right, if you're kind of an agnostic type, you don't know if there's a God or not. Right, well, that's taking a pretty big risk, isn't it? You're just gonna live your life how you want and then roll the dice at the end? Hope it, hope it turns out well for you? That's a risk. Maybe you're a real moral type. You think, man, if I'm, I'm a good person, I'm kind, I'm, I'm compassionate. Uh, and, and so, you know, if I'm a good person, then surely at the end, God will respect that and he will, uh, you know, treat me fairly. Oh, that's a risk. Right, and, and I think you know deep down how that's gonna go because you know your own heart. Could we ever be good enough for God? I couldn't. Maybe you're an atheist, right? You think this, there's no God. It's just dirt. It's nothing afterward. No consciousness after death. I just say, well, that, that's a big risk you're taking. 
You can't prove that. You can't prove there's nothing after death. So, so you're basing that. That's a, that's a faith position. You're trusting in something you can't prove that there's nothing after death. That's a big risk. If you're wrong, won't you take a risk trusting the one who's proven his love for us and that while we were sinners, he died for us? There's no one like him. There's no one who can fulfill the promise like he can. Whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. This is our hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for for showing us your heart. Jesus, that you receive those who come to you, even us. Even us who have rebelled in so many ways, who haven't deserved your love. That you, you welcome us in. You call us daughter. You call us son. Thank you for your compassion. I pray for endurance, patience, steadfastness. And Lord, for those suffering here, for those in this room suffering, by your spirit, would you strengthen them? Would they see your heart? Would they know your love? Would they feel your presence with them? Would they trust your timing? Lord, if there's someone uh, in here, for those in here who who don't know you, would, would you pour your love into their hearts in a way that they can't deny? Would they see that you, you have loved them? There's no one like you, Jesus. We praise you. We love you. Amen.